um, here to open this up because it's, uh, am I on? I don't hear myself. Okay, now I do. Okay, all right. I, uh, I, I think it's so great because we're talking about transformation. And in this idea of talking about transformation, um, what greater transformation than to see someone make a public profession of faith in Christ? Uh, just such a wonderful thing. And God is just doing some special things here at our church. And I hope that over these past couple weeks that you have been taking these messages and applying the things that you have been learning. Uh, we started off this series talking about how Scripture transforms us, and the idea was to try to help us to grow in uh, overcoming the different hurdles and obstacles that so many have when it comes to reading the Bible or believing that they can actually understand the Bible and be able to properly interpret the Scripture. And so I hope that you've been equipped to do that and that you have actually been applying that and doing that. And then this past week, we talked about prayer. And we talked about how prayer is vital. As a matter of fact, we said we deepen our dependence on God when we pray. And then there's a lot of hurdles that can be in the way of someone's life from praying. And I hope that some of those obstacles were removed or some of those hurdles were lowered. And that you've actually been taking some steps to grow in prayer over this past week. And in that same spirit of transformation this morning, we want to continue by talking about how generosity transforms us. The idea of generosity we all understand is good because we all believe in our core that generosity is good. The hard thing is that if we believe it's a good thing to be generous, then why don't we do it more? There's obstacles, again, in our way in being generous. Maybe some of you that uh, you just don't fully understand the concept of generosity because maybe it wasn't modeled in your home or maybe uh, you're struggling financially or you're struggling with a slammed calendar and you don't know how to even start to be generous because it seems there's just never enough money or time left over to help someone or to contribute or to be generous in any way shape or form or maybe you're one of the people who have seen this message abused in church where guilt and greed motivates people to abuse the scripture, to make people feel guilty or make them feel bad about their lack of generosity and they misuse and abuse the word of God to beat people up over the head. Or maybe worse, maybe they take the scripture and twist them and manipulate them to make you think that if you give that God will do all these things for you and you're going to get a new house and a new car and everything's going to be great and you're going to be able to live this great life if you give because God's going to do all these things for you. Um, just to be really transparent with you, you've heard me share a little bit about kind of my upbringing. I was brought up in that type of an environment and atmosphere. I was brought up in what's more commonly known as prosperity gospel, word of faith teaching. And so a lot of the messages that I would hear growing up were attached to if you would give this amount or you would sow this faith seed and if you would do these things and confess these scriptures that these outcomes would happen in your life. And it seemed like there were a few people that maybe it was happening in their life. And so we all were trying to follow the formula and get it right because we all thought we were supposed to be wealthy and have all these things and God wanted to just show off and his kids and bless us with all this stuff. And so we would pursue that and we would use these different formulas in scripture that we were taught to try to uh, uh, go out and get whatever we thought we could get from God by giving. And maybe you grew up like that. Maybe you heard that message. And maybe you just are turned off to the whole idea of generosity. Because let me tell you, I've had a hard time with the message of finances and generosity in the church. And just to, I'll just lay all my cards out on the table here. Um, I have, since my eyes being opened as as an as a 18, 19 year old young man and seeing the truth in the word of God and, and leaving that type of teaching and mentality, 
um, the pendulum swung so far the other direction that I had a hard time teaching on finances. Um, but the fact is that there's over 2,500 verses in Scripture where the Word of God actually talks about stewardship, money, generosity. And so here I am avoiding a lot of Scriptures because of the upbringing that I had and my sensitivity towards it. So I'm just letting you know I'm a little sensitive about this subject. And I'm especially sensitive towards those preachers and ministers who would stand up in pulpits and fleece the people of God for selfish gain. Um, people who would abuse the scriptures or make people feel guilty in a message on generosity or giving or would twist and manipulate scriptures to try to get people to do certain behaviors to only pad their own pockets. I'm very, very sensitive to that. So I want to just stand up here and confidently tell you that whatever you've experienced um, that maybe has put a bad taste in your mouth when pastors have ever tried to teach on the subject of finances, um, I've had worse. Um, <laughs> and uh, just to give you, I'll give you one example, and that's it. But I've got some stories that will make your head spin, but I'll, I'll pick this one because I know it will just uh, make some of you go, Is that, did that really happen? Yes, it did. You can ask my mom. <laughs> but uh, the church that I grew up in, we actually had a praise and worship song that we would sing during the worship time. And it went something like this. I'm blessed in the city, blessed in the field, the fruit of my body and all of its yield. Money cometh, money cometh to me for the sake of the gospel. Money cometh to me. And then we go, money, money cometh, 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 money, money cometh for the sake of the gospel. Money cometh to me. We sang that weekly for a long time in the church that I grew up in. That's just one story, just to freak you out a little bit. Um, and you're like, who did we hire? Don't worry. <laughs> I, I came out of that, and I, I see it's just egregious error, and it grieves my heart to see people fleecing the flock like that. So I just have a sensitivity towards that. And I want the people of God to be educated about how God looks at generosity from the word of God, not from what can we get from God. Hello, somebody. Because if we're looking at it from what I can get from God, I'll never understand the heart of generosity because I'm always thinking that I'm putting God in my debt as if somehow that were even possible, that I could do something that God would owe me something um, or that I could misuse the scripture for selfish gain. The scripture rails on that. I don't know how all those preachers I heard growing up missed those types of things. So whether it's uh, whatever hurdle or obstacle may be in your way, I hope that today we can grow in understanding generosity and practicing it because there is joy attached to generosity, amen? I guarantee you, you've met a lot of happy people in your life who are very generous, but I doubt that you've met very many happy people that are, are misers and that can make, a, you know, Abraham Lincoln, you know, scream because they squeeze onto that penny so hard um, because I've never really met a happy, close, tight-fisted person. They're always worried about what they're going to lose or not having enough instead of understanding um, these teachings from Scripture that I want to share with you today. So go over to Matthew chapter 25 is where we're going to start. Matthew 25, I want us to look at one of these parables that Jesus shared. And in this series of parables, remember, we want to look at the context. We want to look at the whole thing, not just this one Scripture or this one section. What was Jesus talking about? So when I look holistically and I kind of zoom out a little bit on this text... Jesus has been using illustrations, he's been using parables to try to convey this type of message 
to his disciples about the importance of the kingdom of God, the importance of eternity, the importance of living with an eternal priority, and the fact that he's coming back and he's going to expect us to be ready for his return. And so that's the context of Jesus sharing these various parables because he wants us to know what we as disciples should be busy doing during this time that he is, uh, is, is delayed in his coming back and we're waiting for him, but yet we're still here on the earth. And he wants us to know what our responsibility is, but he also wants us to be looking and waiting and to be ready and to be doing things and then what he expects when he does indeed return. And so that's where Jesus is telling the series of parables about us being ready and about the things that we should be doing. And this is one of those parables in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14. Jesus says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. Stop right there. Jesus gave one man five talents, one man two talents, and one man one talent. I just want to be very clear so we can all be on the same page here. He's not talking about the ability to rub your belly and pat your head at the same time while chewing gum and standing on one leg, right? He's not talking about your special ability or your special gift. When he's referencing talents, what he's actually saying is a large measurement of money because a talent was a measurement of their day, and it was the biggest measurement that they had, and it was a measurement concerning uh, a large, large sum of money. And so even getting one talent would be like getting a lot of money. So it's no small thing to even get one. So here, Jesus is saying there's three different individuals who their master entrusted to all three of them different amounts, and he said according to their ability. So this doesn't mean that these guys were more special because this guy got five, this guy got two, this guy got one. It doesn't mean that they were more special or he liked them more. No, it just means that they had proven themselves faithful with what they were trusted with. It meant that they had done a good job with things in the past, and they had shown that they had the capacity and the ability to manage well because here's the key to understanding the rest of this parable that we're going to read is that the owner the the one who was the master is the one who actually has all of that money that he was entrusting to them he wasn't giving it to them he wanted them to steward it or to manage it and we have to understand that as the people of God with anything that God trusts us with let's keep reading verse 16 He who had received five talents, he went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents went and made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground, hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he said also to the one who had two talents, uh, he said, Master, you've delivered me two talents. Here I've made you two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward. He said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and I gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. 
So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, into that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is very interesting because they each were entrusted with something that they had been given by the master. And the master expected them to do something with it. And two of the three did something with it. And one just thought it would be easier to not even try. And then when the master comes back, he's so surprised at this one because he said, if you were even concerned about me and you even were understanding what I was asking you to do, at the bare minimum, you would have taken this and at least just invested it with the bankers so I could have it back with a little bit of interest. Like that would have been like the bare minimum. So he's saying, you didn't even try at all. You completely said, I'm out. I don't want anything to do with it. He called him wicked, slothful, and lazy because there's something we need to understand about the master and the servants. The master is the owner The servants are the stewards. The heart of generosity begins with understanding that God is the manager. I mean, God is the owner and we are the managers. Amen? God owns it. The scripture says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God owns it all. It all belongs to God. You and I are stewards. We are called to be managers of what is his. And everything that he's given us, our time, our resources, our efforts, our energy, everything that he's given us is to be stewarded in a way that will bring him gain and him glory. So God's not interested in us giving him more money. That's not the point. God's interested in us using what he has has given us to bring a return that will give him glory when he comes back. Amen? So he's wanting us to do something with our lives with what he's given us. And when we take that seriously and we get ourselves out of the position of seeing ourselves as an owner and we start seeing ourselves as a steward, it changes the priority of the way that I use my resources. It changes the way that I think about money. It changes the way I think about time because I used to think it was all mine. I mean, when I got my paycheck at the end of the week, I mean, this is mine, right? I earned this. This is mine. But when I go, wait a minute, this is God's. When I get in my car, I go, this is mine. Wait a minute. When I get in my car and I go, this is God's, I think differently about it. When I wake up in the morning, I go, I have a new day. No, this is God's day. It's the day he's made. And how can I live this life this day for his glory? It's a different mentality and a different priority. Much like you will live very differently and treat things very differently that don't belong to you, that someone lends to you or lets you take care of, you know, like someone wants you to watch their pet while, you know, perhaps they're gone on vacation or someone wants you to house sit for them, right? Someone wants you to take care of their things while you're away. You're going to take care of that very well because you understand this is not mine. And you're going to make sure. And you can tell what matters to people. You can tell what's important to people. And you can see in our own lives, you can see in our homes, because the way that we spend our resources, the way that we spend money, the way that we invest money, it reflects where our heart is. That's all it does. It just shows our heart. That's why we see throughout Scripture over 2,500 verses dealing with the subject of finances because there's a direct correlation because it just reveals and exposes what is in our heart. The tool of money exposes what's in our heart. You can go in someone's home and you can see something that's behind a glass case. 
And maybe it's something you would or would not have put behind a glass case. Maybe you don't think it's a big deal that that's behind a glass case. But they put it behind a glass case, which means that's important to them. And they may have spent a lot of money on that. And you never would have spent the amount of money they spent on that thing to put it behind a glass case in their home with a light shining down on it for everyone to see. You may not have ever done that. But to them, it's something that's reflecting, something that's valuable to them. And it shows their heart. Luke 12, 34 says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So you're showing what's in your heart, which is why money is not the solution because we think that if we have more money that it'll change our lives and make us different. No, money doesn't really change us and make us different. What money actually does is make us more of what we already are. Think about it. Money makes us more of what we already are because if you were a jerk before you had money, you'll be a big jerk when you have money. You're not all of a sudden going to become a nice person because you won the lottery. You're going to become a really big jerk. If you were depressed before you had money, you're going to be really depressed with a lot of money. You just don't know it yet. If you thought that you were, you, you were, you were a person that was selfish, you know, if, if people thought of you as selfish before you had money, wait till you come into a little bit of money. It will only magnify and amplify who you already are which is also true of the person who is happy, joyful, generous. If they are generous and faithful with a few things, when they are entrusted with more, they will continue to live out that joy of generosity, and they will become even more generous. It only magnifies and amplifies who we already are. Go over to Luke chapter 16. Let's look at verse 10. Luke 16 and verse 10, Jesus says this, "'One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much.'" And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to make a decision. Who am I serving here? Am I just trying to chase after this world's riches and this world's thing? Or am I actually prioritizing kingdom living by the way that I'm living? Because guess what? Generous living is intentional. It happens on purpose. People who are generous, they didn't accidentally become generous people. They didn't stumble into it. Much like the team who wins the Super Bowl didn't stumble into winning the Super Bowl. They get interviewed after the Super Bowl win. Hey, how did you guys do it? And the quarterback goes, I don't know. We just did it. I don't know. Just kind of stumbled into it. It was, whoops, we won. No, they know how they won. How do they know how they won? Because they worked very hard. They were intentional. They did certain exercises, certain drills, made certain plays. They studied up on their opponent. They made sure they understood what was at stake and that everybody was in alignment and agreement. They were very intentional about preparing and executing their plan when it came to playing that game and winning. That's why people who are generous, people who live a generous lifestyle are people who do it on purpose. They do it intentionally. It doesn't just happen. In other words, if you just keep on waiting for you to have enough money left over to start being generous, you're never going to be generous because something will just always come up. If you're waiting till you have more time and time kind of is freed up in your schedule before you're being generous with your time and your schedule, you'll never be generous because you'll never have enough time. You'll never have enough time, you'll never have enough money because you're giving God the scraps and the leftovers instead of prioritizing it and being intentional with it. 
And we all have reasons why we make excuses for why we're not doing those types of things. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to get you to think and evaluate so that we can be transformed by this idea of generosity because no one wins by accident. We want to make sure that we're being intentionally generous on purpose. Amen? And so here's what we have to do. We have to plan to be generous by growing in stewardship. This is how we grow in generosity. I think if you ask any person that follows Jesus, do you want to be more generous in your, in your life? Absolutely. I think everyone would say yes to that. I don't think anyone would say, nope, I'm good. <laughs> you know? Because no matter how generous you are in your life, we all want to be more generous. There's, there's other needs. There's things on our heart that stir our hearts. There may be needs within your family or needs within your neighborhood. There may be even needs within our church. There may be needs that, that you know about people and friends at work or maybe something comes on the TV or you get a letter in the mail and it moves your heart and you want to do something. And, and, and we should have a heart to want to intentionally be generous with those things when those opportunities come along. Maybe you're being led by the Spirit of God to do something and, 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 and it's something that may be a stretch for you or it may be something that you know it's going to cause you to have to reset your priorities, but it's going to mean that you have to be intentional with the way that you steward your finances so that you can position yourself to be generous. It's doing it on the front end instead of on the back end. So many people want to just say, well, whatever I have left over. No, no, no. What if we planned and prioritized generosity so that when we have those opportunities, that we're ready because we actually want to prioritize it because we're being good stewards. That's what the master was looking for when he came back was who's being a good steward. Who's actually taken what I've given them and actually done something that matters with it. Done something that's going to bring uh, a gain to him. I want to live my life and steward my resources in a way that it's going to bring glory and gain to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I want him to receive gain and glory from everything that I do, not just me, or not just me uh, thinking that, that, oh, God, I'll give you what's left over, or God, if you let me win the lottery, I sure could bless a lot of people. And, you know, <laughs> that's not how this works, folks. That's not how this works. We have to plan to be generous by growing in stewardship. So I'm going to give you a few things here that you can take pictures of with your phone if you want to on the screen. Um, or you can write them down, whatever makes you happy. And I'm going to give you six practical things that you can do to start. Now, some of you, you've already got some of this stuff down. And if you do, awesome. Maybe God's using this message just to help you grow in that. Or maybe to equip you to be able to teach someone. Maybe you want to teach someone, but you don't know how. Maybe if you're at that place to where you've kind of gotten some of these things down and really solid, you need to be equipped or stirred up or reminded because none of us should get to a place where we're generous enough and we're just comfortable with our level of generosity. It's about the equivalent of saying, oh, I, I read the Bible enough. I'm good. I know enough of the Bible. I don't have to do that anymore. You know, well, wait a minute. Hang on. Uh, prayer. You know, I, I prayed enough. You know, I don't have to pray anymore. I don't have to engage or grow. No, we know we need to grow in prayer. We know we need to grow in reading scripture, right? We know those things. We even make up songs about it. Read your Bible, pray every day, right? Amen. We know we should do those things, but we shouldn't get comfortable in generosity either because maybe God is challenging you because you've gotten complacent and comfortable in this idea of generosity because here's what it does. It does something to your heart 
And it transforms you when you learn to say yes to greater things and you prioritize kingdom things in your life. It does something and it brings God glory with what he does in your heart and what he does through the resources that you understand. Listen, I'm, I'm a steward. I'm not an owner. So here we go. Number one. This is probably the most uh, uh, important thing just uh, for you if you haven't done this yet. Build a monthly budget and start planning with generosity first. Build a monthly budget. I put up there every dollar uh, Dave Ramsey's app. So if you're looking for a great tool, a great resource, uh, you can use that app. My wife and I have been using that for years, and it's been a great tool for us to be able to communicate about finances. How many of you have ever been through Financial Peace University? Any of you ever been through Dave Ramsey stuff? Yeah, quite a few of you here. That's good stuff, right? Like, it's a really good resource. I mean, it's, it's tough stuff. It's tough love. But at the same time, it's really good stewardship material to help you learn how to be a steward. And there's so many great resources through this Every Dollar app to help equip you to learn how to be a good steward that when you do finally sit down and, and, and you look at your budget, you need to start with those things that are most important, not look for where do they fit after I've already done everything else. No, how can I prioritize generosity in my budget how can i do that how can i put generosity in my lifestyle to start there start with generosity not end with generosity when you're planning that's how we can live more intentionally a budget is simply telling your money where to go instead of sitting around wondering where it went right i i mean i i've been a part of those conversations many times with my wife where we're like where did our money go you know well i would rather tell my money where to go by budgeting than wondering where it went. So I think that that's an important tool for you to use. It's free, it's a great free resource. Number two, prioritize generous living in your calendar with your time first, not with what's left over. So when you're looking at your month, when you're looking at your week and you're sitting down and you're looking at all the things you have to do, don't look for where you can squeeze in things that you wanna do for God or things that you wanna serve the Lord through or things that you wanna, where can I squeeze it in? Oh, maybe I've got time for God between 8.15 and 8.25. No, start. Start your, your, your planning. How can I start? You see, what it does is it, it changes our hearts. It changes the focus of our heart. Because, man, we can prioritize wanting to serve God on Sunday morning. That's easy because we can just gather with our church family and go, okay, I'm serving God with my church family, worshiping God with my church family, hearing the word with my church family. But what about during the week? Like, what about the rest of the time? Like, how am I prioritizing that? Because I'll tell you what, if you start this way, if you actually plan to be generous first, if you plan your calendar first to serve God and to seek him first, I guarantee you, and I don't know how this works. I don't know how this works. But when you plan to do those things first, somehow, some way, God always makes sure there's plenty of time and plenty of things to be able to take care of all of the other things I have to take care of. I don't know how that works. But on the flip side of that, if I don't prioritize generosity first, it seems like there's never enough left over at the end of the month. I don't, I don't know how that works, but God somehow does it where he's so faithful. And I don't understand it all, but man, there's been so many times when we will live with a generous priority on the front end, God always takes care of all those little things. It's just what he does. Number three, spend time with people who are generous and learn from them. You want to know how to seek out generous people? Don't go out in the parking lot and see who's driving the most expensive car. Um, because most expensive cars and fanciest clothes and biggest houses don't always mean generous, right? It doesn't always mean that. Look for somebody who's happy, 
who loves Jesus and loves people. I guarantee you, if somebody loves Jesus and loves people, they're probably living generously. Look for someone who's always willing to lend a hand or someone who's always helping. Someone who loves heaven. You can just feel the love of God just oozing out of them. You know people like that? People that you admire that you're like, man, I want to I love Jesus like they love Jesus. Hang out with them. Take them out to breakfast. Take them out to lunch. Spend time with them. If you see someone that you admire the way that they love God and the way they serve God and the way they serve others, I guarantee you, they are a generous person. You start hanging out with people who are happy, who love Jesus and who are generous, that stuff will start rubbing off on you. And you start asking them questions. You just start getting to know them and watch what God will do with that relationship. That's part of discipleship, amen? It's connecting with people who are a little further down the road than you are. I wanna hang out with people who are further down the road than me. I look for those people. I constantly am seeking people that I can admire and look up to and learn from. And I've done this most of my life. Even when I was a kid, I was hanging out with people much older than me. And my mom worked in nursing homes a lot. So um, as a kid, I remember spending a lot of time uh, with people in the nursing home or when mom would do um, home health care and things like that. And I would, I, I, would, I would just do my homework, you know, while she's taking care of an elderly person and just spending time with them, talking to them, learning from them. And I've learned so much through spending time with older people who are just further down the road than me, uh, both things to do and not to do, <laughs> you know? And I think that that's just such a valuable thing when you identify something in someone that you're like, I wanna, I wanna spend time with them. It's, uh, you know, it, it's such a great resource and such a great relationship that God has given us to be able to do those things, especially in the body of Christ. Number four, Pray and ask God to direct your generosity and keep your eyes open for current needs around you. I'm not saying that you should just take a stack of $100 bills and go drive down the road and just throw them out the window. Like, and I'm being generous. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being intentionally generous. So that means you need to pray about what God would have you do with the resources that he's put in your hand. What has God given you and what can you do with it? What, are, what opportunities are right in front of you? Because sometimes it's the stuff that's just right in front of us and we don't even see it. It could be that neighbor. It could be that coworker. It could be something within your church family. It could be something that you're aware of in your own immediate family. Whatever the case may be, there, there could be something that God's been putting on your heart and you see that need all the time and maybe you've just kind of gotten callous over to it because you haven't prioritized doing anything about it. But now you're learning and you're growing and you're going, I need to plan that. I need to keep my eyes open. So pray, ask God. I would encourage you to do this. Moms and dads, get the kids in on this and actually ask them what's on their heart. Hey, kids, what are some things that God's put on your heart? that maybe we could be generous with, with the, with the finances God's given us, or how could we prioritize to do something for someone else, maybe even if it's something physically with our hands and give our time. Ask your kids, include them on this conversation. Grandma, grandpa, invite the grandkids in on conversations like that. How can we go be a blessing to someone else? How can we be generous to someone else? Let's talk about this as a family. That's discipleship, amen? It's relational, it's conversational, it's us being aware of where God has put us, the influence that he's given us, and being able to look at what do we have to be able to use. I love this story of Moses. You guys remember Moses? You guys remember at least the movie Charlton Heston, right? You got Moses. And Moses, in his, one of his first interactions with God when he's out in the wilderness and God's going to call him to go interact with Pharaoh and be God's representative and, and help deliver the people out of slavery, he calls Moses to this conversation, and he tells Moses 
What are you supposed to go out there and do? And Moses starts making all these excuses. He's like, well, God, I can't go talk to Pharaoh. Like, everybody hates me, right? And I don't even talk good. And he's like, well, don't worry about that because I got you. Like, Moses, uh, Aaron, I'm going to have Aaron speak. Don't be afraid. You go and, 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 and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He's like, okay, well, how am I supposed to do that? I, I'm, I'm just out here, and, and, and I don't see how it's going to work. And God asks him a question. God says, Moses, what's in your hand? And at the time... Moses had a stick in his hand because he had been being a shepherd out there in the wilderness as he's like, you know, trying to reestablish his life. And he's trying to kind of hide also from people who are wanting to kill him. And he, he's got this stick and he says, well, I, got a, I got a stick that I walk around with. And he says, okay, well, that's in your hand. So here's what I want you to do. God says, throw it on the ground. And Moses throws a stick on the ground. And what happens? Anybody who read their Bible, what happened? You remember? It turns into a snake. Oh, that's freaky. Like Moses on his best day couldn't have made that happen, right? I've thrown sticks on the ground before. Nothing. Stick on the ground is what I get. Moses gets snake. And then God says, Moses, pick it up. Whoa, which one took more faith? To throw it on the ground or to pick the snake up? And God didn't say, hey, it'll be cool. Pick up the snake. It'll turn back to a stick. He didn't tell him. He just says, pick it back up. And Moses reaches down, grabs the snake, and it turns back into a stick. He didn't tell him what was going to happen. He didn't tell him how it was going to happen. But here's the point. God asked Moses to consider what he was holding in his hand that he considered insignificant. And he considered, he asked him to let it go, to throw it, to trust in God. And God did something with what was in Moses' hand that Moses could have never done in his own strength and his own ability. And then he said, Look what I can do when you trust me. Look how I'm going to deliver. It's not God asking Moses to deliver the people. It's God saying, Moses, trust me. I'm going to deliver my people. I'm going to use you. It's the same way when you look at whatever's in your hand. Well, that's not very significant what I can be generous with. Don't you tell God what's significant and what's insignificant because God could do a miracle with a stick. God can use a stick, so it doesn't matter what you think you may have or not have in your hand because some of you have been waiting to live a generous lifestyle because you feel like that your level of generosity you could actually live is not significant. I want to encourage you today to start where you're at. Start somewhere and begin to trust God with whatever's in your hand and say, God, I'm going to release this to you and let you do with it what only you can do because you don't know what you could be setting in motion that God's working behind the scenes that you have no idea about. You have no idea what God could do with something very small, something you thought would be insignificant. And so a lot of times we'll be disobedient because we don't think it's impressive enough or it's good enough because we hear these stories about people doing all these big, great things, and we're like, well, who am I? Well, what's a stick in Moses' hand? <laughs> Watch what God can do when we trust him, Amen. Number five, budget extra finances to randomly be generous with. This is a fun one, okay? If you get to this, this place where when you're budgeting, a lot of us will have like certain things that we want to give certain places, and that's great, and that's fine. But what about like budgeting like fun money? Like, okay, however much you can. My wife and I have done this before. We'll say we're setting this much money apart, uh, I mean to the side, and this money that we're going to set to the side, this is like you just have your antenna raised and your radar on, and you're just looking for an opportunity to do something. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you got something in the mail or maybe, you know, you heard about, you know, something with like sponsoring some kid or something and it moved your heart and you're like, oh man, I wish I could do that, but I've already got all these finances committed elsewhere. What if you budgeted like extra to be like randomly generous with that you could use whenever the Holy Spirit directed you? It's just another way 
to temper your heart. That's what you're doing. You're tempering your heart to be able to be equipped to live understanding I'm a steward, I'm a manager, I'm not an owner, this is God's. How can I look for opportunities? If I'm intentional about it, I, God, I guarantee I guarantee you God's going to put opportunities in your way. Amen? And you're going to have your antenna raised because you're going to be looking for it. What if you budgeted like something that you're actually looking to do something for someone else in? I guarantee you that God is going to just show up and show out through an incredible opportunity. Um, I love this story that Dave Ramsey tells. Um, I haven't done it, um, but I still think that it's cool. Um, and it's just an idea that he shared. He said that if you want to experience the joy of generosity instead of this begrudging thing, you know, if you want to experience the real joy of generosity, he said on Thanksgiving Day or on Christmas morning, he said after you've had your time with your family, he said load up the car with your spouse, with your kids, he said grandkids, whatever, he said and go find one of these 24-hour diners that's open and go pull up to where you can see inside the diner and get out and go walk in to the diner and just order a simple cup of coffee. And when the waiter or waitress comes and pours you the cup of coffee, leave a ridiculous tip and just walk out the door. He said, I did that. I left a $300 tip and just walked out the door and got in the car and sat and watched and waited for her to come back to see that I just ordered this cup of coffee so I could interact with her. But he said, because somebody who's working on Christmas morning in a 24-hour diner, you don't know their story. Somebody who's working on Thanksgiving Day instead of being with family, you don't know the story. Somebody who has to have this job, that's probably who's working on that day. Somebody who doesn't know how they're gonna make it, or maybe their family has abandoned them. Maybe they've made a lot of really bad life choices. He said, watch. He said, it, it never fails. You get to see people just light up. He said, and you get to experience a little bit of the heart of God with the joy of how he gives to his kids. And you don't need any of the credit. You don't need to stay there and film it on Facebook. Put it on, you know, social media to show everybody how great you are. No, he said, just run out of the restaurant and go sit and just watch. She's going to wonder where you went and there's going to be that tip there just to bless. I, I love that type of heart that just wants to bless people. The scripture says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't go around and, you know, boast about giving. Don't go around and boast about being generous. Do it, do it secretly. Try to do it inconspicuously. Isn't that the most fun anyways? Why is that the most fun? Because I'm wanting to give the glory to God, not to me. Amen? And so this is about changing our hearts. Number six, invest time in learning healthy stewardship and budgeting practices to position your family to live more purposefully generous. That means never stop growing. Never stop learning. If you're struggling with finances, learn, grow. There's plenty of resources out there to help you to grow. Get connected with people to hold you accountable. Grow and learn so you can be more purposeful and you can uh, begin to actually live with a greater joy that's attached to generosity. Because the joyful person isn't the person who just has a bunch of stuff. The joyful person is a person who doesn't let stuff have them. And who lives generously, understanding the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This is all God's. So do you need it? Do you want it? Whatever. God, help me to live that type of way. And because there's all sorts of scripture that talks about how evil that the love of money is and how wicked it is and how it'll just ruin us. Amen? 
And we don't need to be just chasing after that stuff, but we do need to be responsible and good stewards with what he's trusted us with. That's what we do see very clearly in Scripture. So I'll say this. Stop simply asking God for more when you aren't handling well what you've been given. A lot of times we think more is the answer. Well, maybe more is not the answer. Maybe learning how to handle what I have is actually the thing that I need, not just saying, God, I need more. God, help me to grow in stewardship, and he who's faithful over a little will be trusted with more. Help me to be faithful with what you've given me. A blessing that you cannot handle is a curse. That's why you see the lottery ruin so many people's lives. That's why you see someone coming in, all of a sudden all this money will ruin folks' lives if they don't know how to handle it, if they don't surround themselves with people who are smarter than them and people who can give them some, some wisdom and how to handle that if they come into to a bunch of money. It's like giving your 14-year-old who just got his permit a Ferrari and saying, here you go, why don't you just go drive this kid who just got their permit? That kid doesn't need to drive that Ferrari. Shoot, you don't need to be driving that Ferrari. You can't handle it. Too much power. We keep asking for more when God's saying, well, what are you doing with what you got? What's in, what are you doing with what's in your hand? Not just always asking for more. You see, prioritizing generous living requires that we trust in God. God is not in the microwave business, although God does do some instant miracles and we see that. But more times than not, God's not in the microwave business. He's in the crockpot business. And, and it's these things that happen over time. It's these things that we need to grow in. It's these things that we need to learn. And we need to get out of these bad habits and these ruts. And we need to get to a healthier place. These things take time. But you have to start somewhere with trusting God more with your finances. If he's commanding me and expecting me to live generous with an eternal priority, is he really good? Is his word really true? Can I really trust him? I want to read one more text before we go. Over in Matthew Chapter 6, I want to give you the context for a very popular scripture. We read Matthew 6.33 that says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Right? You've heard that scripture before? You bought the little wooden thing at Hobby Lobby. It's hanging up above the sink, right? Matthew 6.33, I get it. Well, what were all the verses before that? What's the context? Let's look at this together. Matthew 6, let's back all the way up to verse 19. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory 
was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. This is our big idea today, and it's also one of our core values here at BCC. Generosity is our lifestyle. It's not just something we do at church. It's not just something we do when we have enough. It's a lifestyle. It's a way we live because it's a priority of the kingdom of God to invest in eternal things. Because when he comes back with the things that he's given us, with the time that he's given us, with the influence and the affluence that he's given us, will we be one of those who has stewarded well the things he's entrusted to us? Have we lived with a generous lifestyle and an eternal priority with the way we steward? Have we put ourselves in a position to do that? Or have we just been living for ourselves? What is your next step to position yourself to live more generously? How can you be more intentional in positioning your, yourself no matter what your income level, no matter what your schedule may look like? Is God calling perhaps some of you to repentance for mismanagement of what is his? I want us to be transformed by having a lifestyle of generosity as a church, not just on Sunday, but every day. Amen, church? Let's pray and ask him to help us do this. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you and we recognize that we are stewards. We are managers. We are not owners. You are the owner of all of it. And so we say, Lord, your will be done through everything that we have, through our jobs, through our income, through the way we budget, through all of it, Lord. Help us to grow in the areas we need to grow in. Help us to repent where we've mismanaged, where we've been selfish, where we've gotten off track. Help us, Lord, to live with an eternal priority with our time, with our talent, and with our treasure. Thank you for being so gracious and patient with us. I pray we all grow from this and we take something that we can apply in our lives immediately so that we can walk in transformation and let generosity be our lifestyle. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.